Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Beautiful day, huh? 70 degrees. Man, it's nice to see that. My name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. And if it's your first time here, sit back and relax. We're going to look at some scriptures together. You're going to be able to follow along in your notes there in your bulletin. If you haven't got a bulletin, just ask somebody. They'll get you one. And uh, we'll just follow along in the notes. You can circle words. We like to circle words. We like to underline words. You can even do a little doodling if you have to, because sometimes I do run a little long. But, um, no, we just want you to enjoy yourself and read uh, as we read God's Word and learn some things. Uh, There's a few things in your bulletin I want to point out. One of them is the care baskets that we're giving out this year during Thanksgiving and holiday season. So if, there's a, if, if you're wanting to do something like that, talk to the Welcome Center if you need more details or the office. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's what we're doing to help people that uh, are really going through a tough time. Uh, you would agree that right now, it's, for a lot of families, it is tough to make ends meet. And so if you'd like to help along, if you'd like to do it yourself or with a small group, be more than, or, you know, join right in, okay? Um, I talked to Nathan about this earlier. I know we've had some baptisms. We've not been announcing. Am I right, Nathan? Come, come, come up here for a second. Come up here for a second. Come on. Oh, where's a mic? Anybody got a microphone for this man? You got a microphone anywhere? Wait, somebody give that man a mic. There we go. How did you get that mic? Okay, tell, tell everybody what's... I mean, I, I've, I've, we've been behind, okay? So. Um, I don't know if they're all here. That's all right. Okay. Well, uh, Tuesday, Amanda... Lipner, if you'd like to. <laughs> and then we had a couple other girls. I don't think they're here. Uh, Ashley Wilborn and uh, Shanita, Travis's sister, got that size. So. Okay. I just want to. I want to make sure we mention it. All right. So when you see them, give, give a big hug, especially that one right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. It's almost you know it's very exciting to have uh, these people. In the kingdom of God, guys, in the family of God. So it's wonderful to see that. Uh, we're uh, in a series called uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict. And we've been looking at this as our second week. Uh, you know, you don't have to be on the planet very long. You're going to have a conflict somewhere. Everybody faces some kind of conflict, some kind of form of conflict. Last week, we talked about pursuing peace. And uh, today, I want to talk about keeping unity. Keeping unity. You know, peace and unity kind of go together. Look at this passage here. It's either up on the screen or on your notes. Look at it says here. Paul says to this church in Ephesus, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's, he's, notice that there's the word unity and peace are in the same, same command. They go together when you stop and think about it. For when you're, when you're a peacemaker, you're going, you're going to be able to keep the unity that God has given you. I, I want to say off the bat again uh, something here, and that is that you and I... We aren't able to make unity. We can only keep unity. You say, well, you mean, Tim, can't we, can't we make unity? No, God makes unity. If, if you and I could make unity, we would have done it a long time ago without God's help. But guys, let's face it. We, we are very, very poor at having unity with others. Uh, it doesn't take long. You know, you, you might have a friendship and then something happens and there's a fallout. Uh, the divorce rate proves that we have a hard time sticking together and staying together. And so the, what we're doing is in this, uh, this Resolving Everyday Conflict series in our small groups. And by the way, there's a list of small groups there in your bulletin that meet in your area. If you haven't got yourself into a small group yet, just attach yourself to one of these groups. They'd be more than happy to take you. We're going through additional information and some very good information 
uh, along with this sermon series because we're not very good at resolving conflict. I bet everybody here has got somebody you've got a conflict with right now. Maybe you brought them to church with you. But they're here or they're there. They're everywhere. Somebody, if I was to ask somebody outside of this building, who do you have a conflict with? It may be you. It's, just, it's all the time. It's every day. It's with everybody. Sooner or later, we're going to have conflict. Well, I want you to know that though we have conflict and though it, has, it, it, it happens every day in our life, God wants to help us learn how to resolve those everyday conflicts with whoever we have a conflict with, whether it be in our family or our friends, our church or our workplace. And so this idea that we're to keep this unity of the Spirit, notice this is of the Spirit, this, this unity of, of God. You know, one of the things about the Holy Spirit, a lot, of, a lot of people, when you think about the Holy Spirit, you start thinking about this tongue-speaking stuff. But, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is much more than the idea of speaking in a language that you've never studied. You find out that the Holy Spirit is to bring fruit in your life. It's to bring, it's to bring change in your life. And by the way, I don't care if you can speak in a thousand different languages. If it isn't changing you, it's not the Spirit. To be honest with you, the Bible bears that. But did you know the Holy Spirit, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, it's talking about who, that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the earth when the world was created? It brought order. It brought order to the creation of the world. And the Holy Spirit still brings order and wants to bring order into your life, peace in your life. And so we're called here to keep this as Christians, to keep this unity, and it happens through peace, through peacemaking. See, peacemaking is the key to maintaining unity with whoever you're connected to. And so that's why we're so curious about this. That's why Gary has been pushing us to t- look at this idea of resolving everyday conflict, this idea of becoming a peacemaker. It's very important that Greater Alton be a place that promotes peace. That promotes peace. God wants you to have peace in your marriage if you're married today. God wants you to have peace in your family if you've got to follow up your family. We're coming into the holiday season, and we know with that comes a little strain. Am I right? It's not the last-minute Christmas shopping that... Is the, is the major source of strain for some of you. It's your plans are changed last minute when you find out uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so or whoever it is from the family shows up. Oh, boy. And so we have, this, we have these everyday conflicts. God wants us to be able to resolve them. And he wants to give us the tools to do that. And that's why we're, why we're covering this uh, material uh, in our small groups, especially the nuts and bolts of how to resolve everyday conflict. So look at this other passage here in Psalms 133, verse 1. Let's get into this lesson. Look at also, I looked at every verse that talks about peace, every verse that talked about togetherness or unity or anything like that. And look at this verse here that the psalmist says. He says, it's good and pleasant when God's people live together in peace. He's talking about unity there. And he says it's good and it's pleasant. Well, how's it good? How is unity? What makes unity so good? What's so pleasant about living together in peace? Well... Life is better when we learn to live together. Would you agree with that? That we need to learn to live together? If you're recently married, that first year, if you've been married a long time, hopefully you're not still in your first year. 
But uh, you remember that first year? A lot of learning. A lot of role learning. A lot of boundary learning. Lots of communication had to be learned. Lots of differences are brought in to this marriage. And so you're learning to live together. The same is true with churches. The same is true with school. The same is true at the workplace. You learn. You learn. And it's pleasant and it's good. Life is better when you learn to live together. Well, here's what unity does. Let me give you three things that ought to motivate us to pursue unity. The first thing is unity makes my relationships durable. When I'm trying to keep the unity that God has given me, why is God crossed your life crossed with somebody else's life? Why are you friends with this particular person? Why are you married to this particular person? I say this all the time in weddings. God has brought the two of you together. And you know, I never see somebody, the bride or the groom, say, wait a minute, I beg to differ. You know, they always go, yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah, God brought us together. Now, you may change your mind after a few years. But I want, I want you to know that when you're, when you're set on keeping the unity that God has brought in your friendship or in your marriage or in your family or in your church, it makes that relationship durable. It's able to get through tough times. Listen, guys, you know this is true. I don't care what relationship you got. You're going to have some rough times. It doesn't matter what relationship you, you have. It, you're going to hit some bumps in the road, some potholes in the road. You're going to hit some curves. You're going to get off the road. You're going to flip the car sometimes. It's, it's, you, you know this is true about rela- any relationship. No relationship is perfect. But when you, when you seek to, for unity, when you seek to keep the unity that God has given you initially, it, it helps you get through those things. Ecclesiastes 4. I've been using this passage a lot in this series, and I'll, I've used it a lot in the past. It says two are better than one. But I've never noticed in that passage how often conflict is mentioned. In that passage. Why are two better than one? Well, they have a good return for their work. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's cool. I get it. If one falls down, sound like conflict? When someone blows it, when someone fails, when someone just trips, trips up, I messed up here. It says the other can help him up. There's the power of unity. When someone's cold, another person can help them stay warm. When you're weak, how many times have you been in a relationship where you're the weak person? And somebody, that friend is right there to encourage you through that. Or they're weak, and you happen to be that person that helps them. Unity helps you get through the cold nights. Unity helps you get through the skid marks and the, and the cuts and bruises when you fall. I love the next image, though. He says that in a battle, two can stand back to back and defend themselves. In other words, life is going to have some conflict and some battles and you don't have to fight by yourself. You can have somebody watching your back. And when you bring two people together, two are better than one. Unity is better because why? Because I'm able to get through that hard, harsh, rough time in my life. So I hope you're, you're excited about and, and interested in wanting to find unity and keeping God's unity in your relationships. Another thing that unity does, it makes God's message delightful. Not only does it make my relationships durable, it makes God's message delightful. I don't know of anything that's more negative toward churches, toward Christians, than division. Would you agree with that? It turns people off. How many times have you heard this, or maybe you've said this, I'm not going down there because they don't know how, they, they can't get along with one another. 
Ever heard anybody say that? I've heard of that church. Well, they're always fighting about something. They're always getting into it about something. Well, can I tell you something, guys, that, that we need to re- re- remember? And that is this, is that conflict, all conflict does is confirm that you and I are human. That Christians have conflict too. You read your Bible, you find out godly people. You look at First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. These were written to churches: the Church of Corinth, the Church of Colossae, Galatia, Philippi. You know these churches. Paul deals with division. He deals with unity. It, whether you're a Christian or not, you're not immune to conflict. You're going to have it. And I know the world may not get that sometimes. They may not understand it. But maybe we don't get it either. Because sometimes I think our expectation is, well, if we have no conflict, then we're okay. We may not be doing anybody any help if we don't have some conflict now and then, huh? God uses conflict for His purpose. But I can tell you this, that the church, the church that has the best reputation is not the church that has conflict in it, but resolves it. Because just like conflict confirms I'm human and you're human, I'm human, Unity confirms we're Christians. Because, see, it makes God's message, and it makes God's message so much a joy to hear and a pleasure and attractive to hear. Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? He prayed for unity. He said, Lord, may they be one as you and I are one. Why? So the world will know that you sent me. Why? Because of all places, guys, the church needs to be the place where we work conflict out. Unfortunately, it's not that way, is it? Some of you here have conflict in the kingdom of God. I have conflict in the kingdom of God. And God wants us to resolve it. And unity, keeping the unity, having this desire to say, I want to keep, you know, if God crossed, I thought Nathan was right. We, God brought us together and we wouldn't be friends. We wouldn't be connected if it weren't for the blood of Christ. And he says, I want you to resolve these differences. I want you to be able to work together. Because, see, the world needs to see that conflict can be resolved. They need to see, guys, I'll tell you, they need to see marriages working it out. They need to see friendships restored. Amen? That's for me, for you. God, that's what God wants. And when the world sees, wow, they get along. Wow, they... I know they don't. How can those two be going to the same church? Remember years ago, we had a guy in this church that his ex-wife was coming here. She used to beat her up. And they're in the same building. How is that so? What a testimony to God's peace, to God's power, to the message of the gospel. We've had people, we've had couples here. We've had, well, we've had, I remember one time we had a, a fella come to our church that was a guest who had raped one of the women and was a member of this church. Talk about a buzz. What's going on? You know what we decided? God may be trying to resolve something here. As harsh and hard as that is, maybe God is trying to work something out. And I want you know, guys, I think God wants His church to be attractive. And, he, and, and his, the message is so delightful to hear when there's stories of resolution. So God wants you to work it out. Even the tough stuff, even the hard stuff. 
Also, unity makes God's mission doable. I was reading this week. A fellow approached it this way. He used this illustration. Um, and the illustration he used was, remember Lord of the Rings when those big guys were coming up to the gate of the city and they got this big log and all of them are holding on and they go, boom, boom, you know, and the gate's going, boom, boom. He says that's the power of unity. When everybody's together and they're working and they're, and they're working together. He goes, imagine if it was like this. They, all these guys rushed the door and they got their own little stick. I'm sorry. You think that would have... First of all, the movie wouldn't have been as impressive, I've got to admit. But secondly, they wouldn't have got anywhere. No, it's when we all, together, there's power in numbers. There's power in connection. And God's mission is doable when we work together. You look at the Acts 2 church, and it's the standard that we want to be here at Greater Alton. What were they like? Well, did they have conflict all the time? All the time? Had a couple of people lying about their giving, and they got struck dead. Do whatever you want to do at that point. <laughs> the, 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 what, a, what a worship service that would be, huh? Oh, my goodness. Well, how much was he given? I'm going to make sure I give a little more this Sunday, you know. Then then you've got not only that going on, you have some people that are complaining. They're not feeling like their needs are being met. They don't feel loved. And so what what does the church do? They're grinding to a halt, and they stop what they're doing, and they resolve the, the conflict. They have conflict outside of their congregation. It's everywhere. But you know what the hallmark or the mark of the early church was? It says they were together of of one heart and one mind. That's what it says in Acts 4. No needy people were among them. They sold their possessions, took care of one another, met together. They were so one and so much together and unified, it says that they turned the world upside down. And guys, there are just some things that this church will never be able to do unless we have unity. That, the, that only can be done when people rally together. So unity helps God's mission become doable. For example, when you're unified as, as a couple, God's going to bless your marriage. The things He wants to do in your marriage, He's going to be able to do because you're together on that. Well, if you're a family that's fragmented, when you, when you seek to keep the unity that God has brought, brought to you, your family is able to accomplish any conflict, any problem, it faces. So that's what that's what the Bible the Bible tells us here, and that's what I noticed about the scriptures. Okay, so what does unity look like, Tim? Well, let me let me see. How could I describe this? I'll, uh, we could look at a passage here, and if you you want to read along with us here in First Corinthians twelve, or you can read it your own, yourself out of your own Bible. I've picked the New Living Translation, and the New Living Translation says it like this: The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one Spirit. And we have all received the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Yet the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. 
Does that make it any less part of the body? What's the answer? No. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? What's the answer, church? No. Suppose the whole body were an eye. Where, or Then how would you hear? Or if your whole body were just one big ear? How can you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts. And He has put each part just where He wants. What a strange thing a body would be if it only was one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other equally. What is unity? What does unity look like? Well, from this passage, I get three thoughts. First two of them, what unity is not. It doesn't look like this. It is not living in proximity with each other. Now, what do you mean? Well, we're all together. Well, being all together doesn't mean you're going to get along. Just because you're in the same church or the same family or the same workplace. Huh? Well, we're all together. We must be unified. No. Remember an old preacher named by the name of Charles Hodge one time said, you take two cats and tie their tails together. They're together, but you throw them over a clothesline and you're going to see they're not, they're not unified. They're going to fight. Just because you're tied together or you're in the same room doesn't mean you're going to get along. So proximity is no guarantee of unity. The early church here, the church of Corinth was getting together all the time. In fact, Paul said somewhere in the first, in, 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 to the Corinthians, your meetings are doing more harm than good. He's saying just because you're meeting together doesn't mean you're getting along. Some of us here, we just think, well, you know, he's at church. He must be okay. Hello? Well, he came to group. He must be okay. Well, she came to... Well, look how many people come. They must must be unified. That don't guarantee anything, folks. So just being in this... How many marriages do you know? How many people you know living in the same house, but they're not really on the same page? They're strangers. But they're in the same house. They got... Both their names are on the deed. Both their names are on the car. But they sit... They live in different parts of the home. And churches are no different. Just because we get together and we have a bunch of people doesn't mean we're unified. Well, I know some people who sit on one end of the building so they can get away from the other person on the other side of the building. Now, don't go look over there. They may be looking at you. I don't want to be in this group. Why not? I feel like I can grow in another group. When the truth is, I got a problem with that guy. So proximity doesn't necessarily mean we're unified. I'll tell you another thing I noticed from this passage unity is not. It's not living in uniformity with others. That God actually celebrates diversity. I talked about this last week. Our first video talked about that, and I think it's going to be a theme in this in this series. Unity doesn't require that you and I do things the same way. 
It doesn't require that you and I do things the same way. Why? We're different. You say different things. You say things differently than I do. I do different things differently than you do. We both might love someone, but we express it differently. And somehow we've got to allow that. I was in a conversation recently, and I started thinking like that. This person says things differently than I do. And once I made that adjustment, they were able to be heard. Dude. You know, what Paul says it this way. He says, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not a part of the body. And what's Paul say? That's not true. We do this in churches. We do this in families. We do this. We do this. Well, I'm not like, you know, the other son. Or I'm not, you're not like so-and-so. And therefore, you know, I've got a problem with you. And guys, we're fighting difference that God put in us. We're simply just fighting. We're different now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Different does not look like this. Well, Tim, I've got a problem with people, and when I have a problem with them, I get an axe out, and I'm an axe murderer. And that's the way I am. I just, I'm just different. You don't use an axe. I do. I don't think he's talking about that kind of difference, folks. You know, I'm upset and I'm sad. So what I do is I... I go spend like crazy, drink like crazy. That's, you know, that's what I do. I'm just different. Amen. Except the difference. That's not what he's talking about there. See, that's difference. That is difference between you and God. They call, the Bible calls that sin. But difference between you and I, there's a lot of difference between you and I that have nothing to do with sin at all. You're just, you're just different. You know, Denise is different than me. I'm kind of glad. You know, real different. I'm glad. She doesn't look like me. No. I'm glad. She thinks differently than me. What? I never thought of that. That's why I'm here. To help you think. And our friends are this way. Where are we going to go eat at the church? If you've got more than five people, good luck finding out where you're going to go. I can't eat there. I want to eat there. Well, I guess I could. Good luck. We're just different. And just because I'm not like you and you're not like me doesn't mean we're not a part of the body of Christ. We're made to be different. And it's okay to, and we ought to celebrate difference. But when I start saying, you've got to do it like I do it, or we can't be in unity with each other, I'm, I'm violating the Scripture. I can't find a solitary place in the Bible that says, you and I have to do everything the same way. Now, I can find it where it says to have the same heart, and the same mind, and the same purpose, but not the same performance. In fact, he says, how in the world would a body function if one part said, or if it was just one big ear? I love that. One big ear. I don't know why I think of Monty Python. That big foot. The nose. You know, whatever that. I remember one time we had Teresa Trunk and Chris Weiler did a giant nose. And kids had to reach up a nostril to get candy. 
And he had a spray bottle, and he'd spray it with water. They'd go, oh, what is that? Happy Halloween. Can you imagine? And I say this to us. Can I, I'm about ready to talk about something sacred here. That we hold sacred. Or we sometimes wonder. Just because I'm not Smith doesn't mean I'm not part of the body here. Just because I'm not Jones, my last name isn't Jones, I'm not part of the body here. I'm part of the body. Just because I'm not whatever name you want to pick doesn't mean you're not part of the body, that you're not important. Every part's important. And by the way, knowing that we're different not only makes, us, makes me appreciate that I'm, that I'm in the body, but also I need to realize that I need everybody. I need every part. That part I don't think I need, I really need. That person I don't think I really need, I really need. They have a unique look. They have, they, they have a role to play, whether it be something that I think of, I hold in high regard as my right hand, or I don't even know how, how it works, my appendix. It's a part of my body. It has a role. So whether you think of yourself as something insignificant or significant, first of all, you matter. But don't let, don't, don't let, if you feel like you're insignificant, don't let it grow into a bitterness that makes you not realize that everybody matters in your life, too. It doesn't require uniformity. It doesn't require me to do everything the same way. It just requires, unity is not necessarily that. It's, what is unity, then? Unity is living in harmony. That's what it really is. It's living in harmony. The Bible says that. In fact, we just read that in, here in that passage. It says, this, me, this, this uh, makes for harmony among the members. And the Bible commands us to live in harmony. Well, what's that, what's that look like? It's working together. It's, it's settling our differences that don't matter and working together with those differences. We're better together because of differences. It's harmonizing. I think about our worship team. And, you know, up here in this worship team, we have a bass, an alto, a tenor, and a soprano. Those are usually the four parts. And if you only hear a song and they strike a chord, in fact, I remember when, when the dome had, didn't have all these panels in it, I come in there and I went, bum, 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 bum. And I heard all four mix. It was weird. It sounded like four people together. And that's what harmony is, isn't it? It's singing the same song with difference. And when I sing it, by the way, now, if I sing a sour note, it stands out, right? It doesn't harmonize. So I must respect the songwriter. I must respect the Lord, the notes he asked me to play, asked me to sing. And when I'm able to do that, I'm able to use that difference in a complementary way, not in a competing way, but a complementing way that helps the body, the body of Christ, grow and mature. So how do I keep unity? How do I keep this unity that God has... This is a gift that you and I have here, sitting here together today. You know that, right? God has given you and I. He's the one that made the peace. He came from heaven and made... You can, I can't make peace. You know that. We can't make peace. We're lousy at it. If we could have made peace, we'd have made it by now. We can't. Only God can bring peace. And He can bring unity. And by the way, He makes the unity. He makes the unity. I don't even... I can't even make good unity. 
I need God's help with that. Well, how? How? What can I do? What can you and I do as Christians, as couples, as families, as people in the workplace to create harmony and unity in our relationships? Well, look at this passage here again, Ephesians 4. We're going to look at the context of the passage now that we saw this. And I'm using the International Children's Bible because I sometimes need to have it explained to me on a kid's level. And so I found it fascinating. Look what it says there. I am in prison because I belong to the Lord. Isn't that interesting that Paul, when, he, when he's about to write about how to have unity, it's in conflict that he's writing this. He's in prison. He's experiencing conflict, but he's thinking about unity. Good lesson for us, huh? When you're in conflict, think about unity. Don't, think, don't get bent, harsh, bitter. Think about unity. I'm in prison because I belong to the Lord. God chose you to be His people. I tell you now to live the way God's people should live. Always be humble. It says always be humble and gentle and patient and accept each other with love. You were joined together with peace through the Spirit. He's saying it's God's peace that has brought you together. You're joined together by God. Do all you can to continue together in this way. In other words, do everything you can to keep it. Let peace hold you together. Then he goes, then he says this, there's one body, one spirit, and God called you to have one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God and Father of everything. He rules everything. He is everywhere and in everything. And I look at this passage, church, and what an appropriate passage to talk about unity today. How can I keep unity that God gives me? How can I maintain it? How can I promote it? How can I maintain it? I've got three thoughts here from this passage. The first one is, I can keep God's unity in my relationships when I give myself first to God. God is the source of peace. He's the source of unity. And if I give myself to Him, I'm able to maintain unity. He says this in two different verses, verse 1 and verse 6. Verse 1, he says, He belonged to the Lord. When he was in his conflict, what's Paul say? I'm in my conflict because I belong to the Lord. He said, you know what? God is, God is in my conflict. I'm not going to forget that I belong to the Lord when I'm in conflict. But notice he says in verse 6 something here. He says, and there is only one God and Father, and this is the New Living Translation, who is over us all, in us all, and living through us all. He rules everything. What's he saying? Unity starts with God. It starts and ends with God. It's maintained by God. God is the source. Why? Because God is the source of unity. You look at creation. You look at everything that God has made. How complex it is. And isn't it amazing? Does it amaze you how well it harmonizes and works together? Even the planets and the stars work in all this. How is that able to do it? God has the authority and power to make things work. I don't have that kind of authority and power. And neither do you. I, I can barely put stuff together and it work. Sometimes I, I, I spend hours putting something together thinking, okay, it's together, it's ready. I start it up like a lawnmower and it throws a rod right out the side of the block. 
happen. I don't have the authority. I, I don't have the power sometimes to put things back together. But God does. God does. He has the power to put together anything you've broken. He can put it back together. It always starts with the Lord. It always starts with God. So I give myself first to God. What do you mean by that, Tim? I simply mean that when you give yourself to God, we're talking about surrender. That's what we're talking about. See, if I want peace with God, it doesn't. how does God get peace to me? How, how do we accomplish peace? Does He send somebody down and force peace on you and I, force us to comply? Would that make you, ha- make you surrender if He forced His way on you? I don't know about you, but when someone forces their way on me, it makes me want to fight back. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He comes and serves you and I and says, now I want you to surrender. How do I have peace with God? It's simply surrendering, but I'm able to maintain. I'm able to maintain unity by first surrendering. That's how I give myself to God. And if we could just get this straight. Remember Jesus talking about this in Luke 14? He says there's two kings, one with 10,000, one with 20,000. And he says, doesn't the king with 10,000 sit down and first ask himself, can I defeat the one with 20? And then it says this, if he can't, really, he's outnumbered two to one. This isn't the 300. If he, by the way, they got slaughtered. They did lose. He says, if he can't, what's he do? He sends a delegation off off while the, while the other king is a long way away and asks for the terms of peace. And what are the terms of peace from the king of 20,000? Surrender. Surrender. He says, in the same way, if you don't give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. He said, surrender is what brings about peace. And guys, surrender also is an ingredient in unity. Because... What, my problem is this, and maybe your problem is that when I have problem and conflict with people, I'm demanding my own way. I want, I want my way. And God says, Tim, it's not about your way. So I've got to cave into this guy? I've got to cave into this person? It's their way? It's not even their way. It's my way. I want you to surrender to my way. Because guys, I'll tell you, I can surrender to somebody and let them have their way and they still may not have peace with me. But when I surrender to the Lord, I will always have peace. And I can maintain that unity. You know, when, when, when I, when, as, a married, as a married man, you know, when I give myself to God and when Denise gives herself to God first, the arguing stops. The fighting stops. Why? Because surrendered people don't fight back. It starts with the Lord. And he says, and, and, and Paul makes it clear, he rules everything. He has authority over everything. Over you, over them, over everything. You give yourself first to the Lord? Are you you're seeking to please Him or please yourself? Or please someone else. It's about pleasing God. It starts there. What's the second thing we notice here? Well, I notice that 
I can have unity and I can keep it. And I, I can keep it when I maintain unity based on God's word. Based on God's word. By the way, that psalm is actually Psalms 119.69. Let me read 63 to you. Here's what David said. He said, anyone is my brother who fears and trusts the Lord and obeys him. Did you catch that? He says, anyone is my brother. I'm unified to them. They're in family. Who fears and trusts the Lord and obeys him. Does that sound familiar to you? I read that and I think about Jesus one time. And he's with his disciples and someone from his family comes running in and they say, Lord, your mother and brothers are here. And what is Jesus' response? Well, no, my mother and brothers are those that do the will of God. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, I mean, this, this is very sacred ground I'm about to step on here. What makes you connected to people? What connects you with another person? Why are you connected to one person, but you're not connected to another? Why is it with one person you go, I really like you. I really don't like you. If we were honest, why? Why is it certain people you are unified with and others you're not? Well, let's see. Uh, well, we like the same things. Well, like what? Well, we like the same songs. We're, we grew, both grew up in the same area. We're of the same age. It works like this in churches, too. Uh, we like the same preacher. We like, we like the same songs. We, we, like, we like this, you know, we, it's the sameness, all the sameness. No wonder we're having trouble getting along. It's all about what I have in common with you. I want to tell you that's all trivial this morning. Why are you friends? Well, you have the same last name as I do, so your family, so I got to. I don't even work, does it? You see, having the same name don't even work. And some of the same interests. Why? They're trivial. They have limits. Anybody following me so far? Why do we have... Why is it I go, man, I really like being with you, but I don't want to be with you. Why is it I go, I just really identify, I have a good time with you, but I, it's a chore to get with you. It's, I'll tell you why. It's because we're basing our unity and our connection with each other on trivial things and not the most important things. Churches do this all the time. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I watch the, 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 the kingdom of God is, is tired and weary of fighting over doctrinal issues. And so what do we, here's what we say. We hear people say this. Well, let's just set our beliefs aside and let's just love each other. The problem is, is that you're stuck with your beliefs and I am stuck with mine. You, they eventually come out. And maybe that's a hint. Maybe the frustration there is a hint of what really should bring us together. It's what we believe. And that's based on the Word of God. I mean, who's going to... Guys, when you have a conflict over something, 
eventually they're not going to like the movies you like or the food you like or the preacher you like or whatever. And you're going to have a fallout. What are you going to do then? How are you going to resolve it? I guess I'll quit. I'll like your movies now. I'll like your food now. That's not how you do it. The rallying point's in the wrong place. You follow me? It must be someplace where you get the last word that you know this is what this is what matters. And that's the word of God. All these other things change. But the Bible says the word of God never changes. So you have to you, so you look to the word of God. That's what that's what David is saying here. Hey, you're my brother if you fear and trust the Lord and obey him. It doesn't say if you like what I like. Amen, Tim. You betcha. Think about it. We draw lines over things. They're silly. They're silly. I draw them. You draw them. Silly stuff. But if we could just rally around the important thing. What's the important thing? The Word of God. Look at this passage. In, in Psalms, uh, this other passage. Is it 69? Have you got that other passage? That? Oh, I'll read it. People, it says, here's what he says in Psalms 119.69 in the Living Bible. People full of pride made up lies about me. So what's he do? But I keep obeying your instructions with all my heart. What I notice there is David says, when I'm having conflict, I go to the Word of God. I go to the Word of God. Well, it doesn't look like he's working anything out. Well, he's in early stages here. When I've got some people giving me a hard time, I go to the Word of God to tell me what to do with it. Not somebody that doesn't like them too. Somebody that feels the same way I do. I don't know about you, but I find, I find this constantly in my life. I don't feel the same way God does. I'm always having to adjust my way I see things. God sees them so much better than you and I. And if you start following the Lord, you're going to find that happens on a regular basis. No, he says, I go to the Word of God when there's conflict. The Word of God's going to decide what to do with this. Ephesians 4, look what he says here in Ephesians 4 in your notes and up here on the screen. Paul brings up the important things. Make every effort to keep the human spirit to bond of peace. There is one movie. Forrest Gump. No? Star Wars? Which one is it? I can't remember. He doesn't say that. There's one way to do things. Hello? There's one body. He says, look, you need to remember, you need to keep the, you need to keep the unity because there are, are there other bodies of people? Absolutely. But this body's different. Look at all the bodies here. And groups of people, there's all kinds, there's Amway, whatever you want to call it, Walmart people, there's all kinds of different groups in the organ, Boy Scouts, there's Boy Scouts groups, there's all kinds of, all kinds of Republicans, Democrats, all these different groups. He says, well, there's one group you need to focus on. One body. God's body. He says there's one spirit. What's he mean by that? Are there other spirits? Sure there are. All kinds of spirits. He says there's only one spirit that matters. That's the Spirit of God. 
the Holy Spirit. What does He say? What does He lead me to do? That's what matters. Just as you were called to one hope. One hope. Are there other hopes? There are other things that people do. They get hope in? Absolutely. Oh, if I get this gizmo, I get this gadget, oh, this smartphone, oh, I just love, oh, it's going to make my life so much easier. All kinds of hope. If I get this job and get this much money, if I, if I can marry this person, then I'll be blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, there's really only one hope you need to focus on. One expectation. And that's the one that comes from God. One Lord. Are there many lords? I know of two. Lord Jesus and Lord Timmy. How many you got? I bet you somewhere in there. He says, oh man, if you're going to have unity, there's going to only be a place for one Lord. What pleases that one Lord? Not your way anymore, Tim. It's got to be the Lord's way. One faith. What's that talking about? Are there other faiths? Well, he's talking about Christianity. I think he's talking about one thing to believe. So you got your beliefs, I got my beliefs. Amen? Let's be honest. You got your views, I got my views. You got how long should this work? How, how we should do this? How we should spend the money? Blah, 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 blah. Yada, yada, yada. But then there's God says, uh, <coughs> excuse me, but I have a belief too. What I believe, what matters to me, I'm amazed at how many of us we're in the middle of conflict and we have no idea how God wants us to handle it. We don't even know what He believes about it. We have this concept of Jesus that's been built by movies, grandmas that don't know the Bible very well, crazy preacher relatives, and songs with a little Bible in there. God says, the Bible says, if you want unity, real unity, you want to resolve conflict, you've got to go back to the one faith. What is that message from the Bible? One baptism? Are there other baptisms? Sure there are. The Bible says there's five different baptisms. Did you know that? There's John's baptism. John the Baptist. There's a baptism that Jesus talks about. He goes, I have a, bapti- a baptism to be baptized with. And he's talking about being overwhelmed in over his head under a lot of stuff. And it's the cross he's referring to. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see it given in the book of Acts to the Jew and the Gentile. Then there's the baptism for the dead that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Then there's water baptism that Jesus talked about and commanded that it be done to everybody. Which baptism? It should say, one faith, five baptisms. It doesn't say that. There's only one, Tim. Which one is it? I bet it's the Holy Spirit. We argue over this. It must be the Holy Spirit baptism. Well, he's already talked about the Spirit. What's he talking about there? Water baptism. Why 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 has he mentioned one baptism? Because it was at that baptism you and I died. And our will... Our way, ourselves, died and was buried. And he's saying, man, you've got to remember, when you became a, just when you were called, you, were, you died 
and we're buried. So it's not about your way anymore. Don't demand your own way anymore. If you want unity, it can't be like you want it. There's one God. Are there other gods? You know there are. A lot of people, guys, I t- you know, I think about gods right now. There's gods in marriage. We worship, I worship the, I, he worships the ground she walks on. Dumb. Houses, cars, people, idols, other gods? Absolutely. Churches have gods too. Don't get rid of my building. Oh, that song. I want to hear that song. Idol. Idols. Why don't they serve my coffee? I don't know what to tell you there. We serve so many different kinds anymore. We got to do this. We got to have this. Some churches worship themselves. There's only room for one God. And he says, and Father. He's, you're in his family. And if anyone is a Christian, they're in his family too. Not whether you like them and they like you, but God likes them. And that makes all the difference. The Word of God. The Word of God is what should unify us. And I'll tell you, I'm saying this is very sacred because I can't tell sometimes the difference between if it's God's Word or a preference for me. And I wonder if any of us, any of us feel the same way. That sometimes I wonder, is it what God wants or what I want? And I just put kind of a Scripture over it. Like a thin, thin film of Scripture. We need to look closely. I maintain unity on the Word of God. Not on your Word, not on my Word. Number three, and this is the last point, and it's the longest one. All right, here we go. Let's go on. Let's move on. Okay. I can, ma- I, can, I, can, I can keep the unity of God when I pursue the character of Christ. I want to say it again. Guys, God has entrusted to you and I His unity. It's not just your eldership or some leader's responsibility. It's to you and I. He's given us this to say, keep it. Hold it tight. Hold it precious. Don't lose it. Maintain it. Take care of it. Don't let it rust. Don't let it wear out. How do I do that, Lord? Well, You've got to give yourself to God first. It's got to be about God, not about you. It's, it's got to be, let the Word of God decide. Let the, Word of God de- let, let the Word of God decide it all. And Tim, pursue the character of Jesus. I love this. Look how Jesus, look how he describes this. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've, you've received. Paul says, live the life you were called to do. And what is that life? The life of Jesus. Live like Jesus. In fact, he, Paul would tell the church of Philippi when, they're, when he's talking about unity to them. Look what he says here. 
in your life together, there's unity, in your life together, think the way Christ Jesus thought. How would that change things if you started thinking like Christ all the time? If you thought like Jesus all the time? You see, guys, keeping unity, keeping the unity of God is not based on the same performance. And listen to me. It's not, it's not determined by the same purpose. Because purposes come and go. No, unity is determined by the same person. By living like the same person. That you live like Jesus and I live like Jesus. That we think like Jesus. That's what disciples are. And you know if you're being like Christ, if unity, unity, if you're maintaining the unity, it's on your radar. And look what he says here. He's, th- he's saying that, that he goes, you be like Christ, and then he, he just lists the, the characteristics of Christ here in verse 2. He says, be completely, would you circle completely? Be completely, totally, totally. Why? Because Jesus was totally like this. Humble and gentle, patient and accept each other with love. This is what the Bible says. Whether you live up to it or not, whether I live up to it or not, and I want you to know, I don't live up to this. This is what it says. I'm not going to lie to you today. I've got to tell you, this is what it says. If I want to maintain unity in my home, in my workplace, it's going to come from being like Jesus who's humble and gentle and patient and tolerant. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, let's break down. Here's how I make, and these are choices I make. First of all, I choose to imitate Christ's humility. I got to thinking about this, and pride has got me in more problems than my humility. That, and I've learned, another thing I've learned, is my humility has solved more problems in my life than my pride. What is it about our ego? Ego is, you know, I thought about my ego makes me go in the wrong places. Man, it messes me up. And it's this desire to have our own way that doesn't create peace, but more turmoil, doesn't create unity, but discord and division. See, Jesus refused to be these things. He refused to be prideful. But he chose to be humble. Look what it says in Philippians 2. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. What's he saying? He didn't hold on to it. He wasn't selfish with it. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He says he humbled himself. He let go of his way. He let go of his will, like in in Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. When it was crunch time to make peace, Jesus, it crossed his mind not to do it. And it just like it crosses your mind and my mind. This week, Friday, where I worked, was just a mess. Everything you could think of was going wrong was going wrong. We had windshields. We're putting in a windshield, this one nice car. It's, good. it's about a $500 job, and there's a scratch on the car after it's been put in. One of the other installers calls up and goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's having a meltdown. What's, what is going on? Oh, I, I, can't, I don't know what to do. Oh, 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 oh. He's 
and Denise Davidson puts her on the speakerphone. Who is that? He's having a meltdown. His daughter just had surgery the day before. He's going to court on Monday. He's got a lot on his plate. And it was one of those Fridays where, you know, everybody's in a hurry to get home. So we're overlooking fundamental things. And I'm like, what is going on? And then he's like, what, Tim, what are we going I don't know. What are we Oh, man. And I'm just like, well, here comes one of the installers in. The one who should have saw the scratch on this expensive glass. And I say, hey, I can't afford to pay for your mess-ups anymore. That's what I say to him. Spark and gasoline. You know, he says to me, what? When's the last time I ever made a mistake? I couldn't remember. Oh, boy, i got conflict now. See, I'm not very good at this. And he just starts going off, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going, oh, I'm the boss. Wait a second. Look, I pay you to take care of stuff. And he goes, well, just say, just say, look at the glass better. Look at the glass better. I go back in my office. He gets in his van. He's going to go put in one more windshield. I wonder how that one's going to go. And I'm thinking, you know, did I, did I handle this right? Because he has been a great employee and he hasn't made mistakes. Why did this do, why did I do that? This is what I'm doing. And finally I go home and I look at my wife and she goes, I say, yeah, I had a run in with one of the guys. We had a bad day. I try to paint it in my favor as best I can. And she goes, were you out of line? I don't think so. And I walk out of the room and go, oh, I was out of line. <laughs> what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I get a hold of the guy. Hey, listen, I messed up. I screwed it up big. He's not a Christian. I screwed it up big. Um, I, was, I was insensitive and unfair to you. You're a great employee. You rarely make mistakes. And I want to apologize to you, and I hope you'll forgive me. There's a pause. Well, everybody has their bad days. No problem. Don't worry about it. And I thought to myself, how many bosses would do that, honestly? I don't know very many. I know I apologized to you before, Mike. But I mean, you know, I don't know very many. I don't remember. I can't. And all I thought was, was only because my Jesus made me do it. I don't mean like forced me. But you know the example that he has, he humbled himself. You know, bosses aren't supposed to humble themselves. They're supposed to, you know, tell like it is. And that's the way it is. And whether right or wrong, you do what I say. And, and I'm thinking, if it's wrong, it's wrong. And, you know, I never felt more freer. Never felt better. Until I apologized. I was out of line. See, Jesus, when He humbled Himself, He didn't demand His own way. He wasn't concerned about, listen to this, listen, church. I don't think God was so concerned about who was right because it was pretty well determined but about what's right and making things right. That's what mattered to him the most. And so he humbles himself. He doesn't demand his own way. He surrenders his preference for God's purpose. And that's a lesson we can all learn. 
Because we all come here with preferences. We go into all of our relationships with certain expectations and preferences. And God says, you've got to surrender that. Be like Christ. Humble yourself. Well, they'll walk all over me. You'll be like Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the sons of God. You're like Jesus when you do this. The second thing he says to do is to choose to imitate his, his gentleness. I've got a couple of passages here, and these are passages that I violate. So I'm just going to tell, I'll tell you ahead of time. I violate passages like this, and I'm not going to hide them from you. Look at what it says here. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Sounds like a fight, like a battle, like a conflict, right? He says reckless words pierce that like a sword. Anybody, any fool can be sarcastic. Anybody can use reckless words and be a jerk. Anybody can do that. It don't take any maturity to do that. It takes discipline and maturity to be gentle. And of all the people, you look at Jesus Christ, what a gentle guy he was. People are being stupid, saying stuff to him. What's he do? He responds to it with gentleness. Responds to a gentleness. How do you do that, Lord? I can't do that. Well, I can show you how. Look at else it says here in Proverbs. Talking about gentleness. Look at the contrast. A gentle answer makes anger disappear. But a rough answer makes it grow. You know, you're in a conversation, you're in a conflict, and it's escalating. Have you ever wondered maybe uh, you're using some rough words? We all know those words, right? We all know the button words. If you know the person really well, especially. The more you get to know them, the more buttons you know you can push. Strangers, you know, okay, but when you get to know them, I know you don't like being called this. Beep! I, don't like, I know you don't like hearing this word. I could do it all day. And you, and you wonder why it's going out of whack. It's going out of whack because anybody can be rough as a cob. But a gentle answer, that takes discipline. That takes choice. And that's like Jesus Christ. I ask you a question here. Was Jesus ever a jerk to people? No. The next thing you choose is to imitate Christ's patience. What's patience mean? It means long-minded. Huh? It means to have a long mind. What does that mean, long-minded? That you can handle things for a long time. It's lengthening. Everybody says, I'm at the end of my rope with you. God says, let some slack out. Let it out a little bit more. I'll tell you, those who who get to the end of the rope, usually hang themselves, guys. They hang themselves in their marriage. They hang themselves in their friendships. They hang themselves at work. Because they end up saying something. They go off on somebody. They lose their patience. And by losing their patience, they lose unity. They lose a friend. They lose a spouse. They lose a church. Uh, Denise showed these passages to the ladies' retreat. They're my favorite out of Isaiah. This is describing Jesus. He takes care of His people like a shepherd. He gently leads the mothers of their lambs. Jim McGuigan once time talked about this, the Irish fellow, Irish preacher, and he said, he said, you'll hear these, hear these shepherds, and they're, they're leading these, these sheep, and one of them is so pregnant, it's about to burst. And he, he, he doesn't go, come on, let's get this herd of moving. He says, no, he gently leads. He gives them time. He's patient. 
This other passage, it says a bruised reed you won't break. If you know, ladies, you know anything about the reeds, you know that the reeds were, they could be used to make a basket. They could be used to make a small boat. They, they could be used, a reed could be used with, at a crucifixion by putting a sponge on the end of it and hanging it up to a man who's dying on a cross. But a bruised reed had no use whatsoever. That blemish made it weak. And so a lot of people, when they'd see that cattail and it was bruised, they'd just snap it in half and throw it to the side. Your Lord does not do that to you. He sees your, where you're bruised and He doesn't break you. A smoldering wick He'll not snuff out. What's that mean? It means like a candle that's not sitting on the windowsill and the candle begins to smolder because the wick is getting shortened. It's into the wax or into the, the animal fat or whatever and its smoke fills the air and people are going, what is that? And usually what you would do is you'd walk over and go, blow it out. And He, he says He won't do that. He won't blow you out when you're irritating. He won't give up on you when you're irritating to Him. He's patient. And guys, I'll tell you what, what helps me be patient with others when I'm at my best moments has been those moments when I realize how patient God has been with me. That He puts up with so much. And doesn't He? He puts up with you and I. And He's patient, not wanting any of us to perish, but all of us to come to repentance. And then he says to choose, he says to imitate Christ's acceptance. Ephesians 2 says it this way, make allowances for each other, others' faults. And then it says here, it says, therefore accept each other in the same way that Christ accepted you. That 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 I learn to be tolerant. And make allowances. doesn't mean I'm a good old boy and look the other way with sin. No. It's simply saying, you know what? I accept you. It doesn't mean I approve. You know, one of the things I noticed about Jesus Christ is whoever he was with, he respected them as a human being. And, and the Bible says, just as Christ accepted you, you should accept others. I have no trouble accepting people I like. He's not talking. He says... Others, whoever they be, the ones that we have a hard time with. Newsweek magazine, years ago, was covering the death of Hubert Humphrey. I don't know if you know who Hubert Humphrey is. He was the vice president to Lyndon Johnson. And he was also a senator from Minnesota. And he passed away. And at his funeral, dignitaries from all over the world came to this funeral. They're all all over the world. And then he walks in. Richard Nixon. Nixon, just, just a few years after the Watergate scandal, he comes shuffling in. No one speaks to this man. We're ashamed of this president. Now, so much news has come out by other presidents now, we may end up having to apologize to Nixon, huh? But here he is. This is this is before all that's known, and he's just he's walking in, and people won't even look him in the eye. In fact, he has got his head down as well. They're meeting at the White House, and as people are mingling, Nixon works his way over 
to one of the walls. And this is the picture Newsweek describes. He just like this. By himself. Jimmy Carter is president of the United States at that time. He sees Richard Nixon off by himself and walks over and shakes his hand like he's, like he's welcoming a member of a family. And Newsweek records that he says this to Nixon. Welcome back home, Mr. President. Everybody heard it. And it's believed, it's believed that this was the turning point for Nixon because somebody accepted him. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't, they weren't saying we agree with you. They're not, they're not saying that. But he's accepted warts and all. And isn't that how Christ accepted you and I? Here we are up against the wall in shame and guilt. No one, no one cares for us. No one wants to speak to us. And yet He comes over and shakes your hand and says, welcome home. Come home. Can we accept one another, warts and all? I can't. Without knowing about Christ, acceptance for me, it's impossible. And I want to encourage you, church, I know, you know, there's, 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 it, maybe there's a marriage here and you're, it's just conflict. Why not give yourself to the Lord? Why not surrender to His will and imitate the character of Jesus and see what happens to your marriage? Maybe it's a campus, a classroom. Maybe it's a dorm room. Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's here. I know some of you are, you know, you might be concerned about even me and other, you know, my relationships. And I want you to know, yes, pray for me. And, Yes, I pray for you. Let's let's reconcile. Let's let's grow to reconcile this conflict that we're that you're facing, that I'm facing. Let's imitate Jesus. You know, they, they still killed him. They still killed him. But it didn't stop him from accepting. And let me encourage you, as difficult as whatever you're facing, do not do not let that difficulty scare you away. Way into it with the power of God. Be like Christ. Choose to be like Christ this week especially. Choose to be like Christ with somebody. Somebody needs your love, your patience, your gentleness, your humility. We're going to sing a song now. And while you fill out these cards, maybe there's something you want to pray about. Fill out that card. While we do that, then we'll sing another song and we'll let you all out of here, okay? May God bless you to be peacemakers. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you and praise you.